everybody welcome back we are talking to dylan israel today that's pizza poker guy on youtube and twitter uh we had a blast talking to him about typescript and side projects so i think you're gonna enjoy it if you want to support us go to our website at techgr.dev and click subscribe to join our newsletter uh you can also check out our patreon and our swag store special thanks to our new patrons uh german gonzalez and zandra you guys are awesome thank you and if you want to contact us, you can get on Twitter and hit us up at TechJR Podcast or email us at techjarpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we really appreciate all the support from you guys. So thank you. All right. That's all I've got. On to the show. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Work Junior, full stack JavaScript developer, and I have with me as always Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie. I'm a front end developer. And today we have a special guest. We have Dylan Israel. Dylan, if you can introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, I am a also do full stack JavaScript. I currently work at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I'm senior software engineer. I have a lot of cool side projects that are sort of how I got my foot in the industry with the YouTube channel, now podcasts, some courses, and a couple other things in the pipeline and other. Th- things of less note but yeah that's sort of the tldr version <laughs> <laughs> yeah man you're uh you're doing all the things uh podcasts courses videos youtube streaming everything yeah i i just enjoy it all like that's the the truth of the matter is i you know and then recently did the the conference where you and i met and it's been uh you know, I, I like variety. Much in like how I tell people they should learn, you should learn from multiple sources and multiple mediums. For me, I, mm. I like to try a little bit of everything, and um, you know, I always try to make a buck with it while I'm doing it, if possible. Yeah, we could. Uh, Eddie and I could take a note in that direction. <laughs> but yeah, man, I. Uh, it's funny that uh, that we finally got you on the on the show. Um, not that we were trying for a long time, but uh, I remember before I even went to a boot camp, I saw your YouTube channel. I was like, man, who's this dude? And you're just like sounding off about top five reasons you're not going to be a developer or whatever. And I forget what year it was, but I was like, man, that's super clickbait. And <laughs> it just, it always stuck with me. And uh, yeah, like you said, we, we met at DevFest, uh, both of us given some, uh, some pretty cool talks and uh, happened to meet over the speaker's dinner. So um, what did you think of the event? What'd you think of DevFest? Yeah, I always really enjoy it. So that's my second time going to DevFest in uh, Florida. Oh, that's cool. And so I, I went sort of the first time, and I went with my buddy. I, we had a blast, and I was like, yo, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this shit next year. <laughs> and like, I was like, I could do this. Uh, um, but uh, I, I've always liked it, and everyone's really nice. It's it's one of the smaller conferences, and I'm probably going to a bigger one to just attend. But part of the thing I like with small conferences, it's really you get a chance to talk to the, the lecturers for the stuff that you're really interested in. That's cool. Yeah, what'd you think of it, Eddie? It was your first conference, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was cool. It's interesting that it was in a mall. Um, <laughs> that was unique. But that last was year, yeah. uh, or last year, the last one was at like the some Disneyland hotel, and it took yeah. an hour to park, so it was awful. Oh, that that kind of sucks. Yeah, that I guess would parking be here was uh, pretty easy. Yeah, it was nice because like between the talks, if you didn't want to. 
I don't know, like, let's say there wasn't a, a talk that you're interested in or you needed a break or something, you could kind of like traverse the mall or go to the food court or, or whatever. Yeah, watch a movie. <laughs> There's a movie theater in there. So it's a little unconventional, but I thought it was pretty neat. Can you uh, tell the audience what you talked about? <clears throat> yeah, so my talk was, um, apologize, I still have like a cough from going to the the conference and I went sick and yeah. I left sick, uh, but uh, I'm getting a little bit better. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so I gave a talk on clean TypeScript and testing. A uh, good emphasis was more so on the TypeScript and, and best practices, specifically with data models and how we can make them uh, more how we can strengthen them versus third-party dependencies like APIs, utilizing some um, encapsulation and some of the solid principles like dependency inversion and um, uh, the open-close principle, and then a little bit of testing about how we can use some of that as well to to make our tests a little bit better. I kind of went a little bit too large, and so I had to cut some of the testing, which was unfortunate because a lot of people were like, oh, I'm really looking forward to the testing. I'm like, well, shit. That's the part. <laughs> that's the part I cut. <laughs> but uh, you know, next, next, I, I did say when I was up on stage that if I, if they take me back for the next one, I'll do one entirely dedicated on testing to make up for it. Because I, I don't like the clickbaity stuff. I'm not about that life. That would be cool. Because I, that's something I'd be interested in. It kind of sucks because we missed your talk because Lee was talking at the same time. Yeah, and and your talk was probably the one that I wanted to see that conference, and I had to miss it. Yeah, (laughs) I wanted to see that one too because like I'm a very big proponent of um, companies sort of giving junior developers a leg in or a way in instead of just having this stupid mentality of senior developers because a lot of senior developers suck. And so I'd rather take a junior developer. Uh, I'm serious. I'm serious. Nine out of ten developers are garbage, but they could still get jobs, unfortunately. And so. What I would, it's sort of like if you've ever played sports, someone would rather have somebody who is sort of untrained and doesn't have any bad habits yet. Same thing with junior developers. You can get a good junior developer and train them with a, a good senior developer. You can get them up and running. But, um, you know, I, I was that I, I definitely wanted to see that because I was like, I was going to be like your hype man in the audience. So, I was, I was, I was so <laughs> thank you, thank you. Appreciate the support. Um, yeah, I always think of this one story uh, from Fire school and like the fire department whenever this subject comes up and uh basically we had this guy that had been a a paramedic for years and years and he finally made the switch to firefighter and he gets his first job in the fire department and like his first week uh, his lieutenant takes him out he's like all right i'm gonna show you how to throw this ladder and the guy's like oh yeah i know how to do this and he grabbed the ladder and started like doing it or whatever and the guy had a clipboard because he was gonna like kind of instruct him on how to pass this test for the department and he just dropped the clipboard right on the sidewalk and walked right back in the fire station <laughs> because he was like, this guy's a know-it-all. Forget this guy, basically. Um, the the whole attitude just shut down the entire experience for him. Oh, wow. One, one thing that, like, to, to, to that point about not giving junior developers chances is they're, they're more than willing to give shitty contractors chances. And, like, because I've worked at numerous companies where we can't find anybody, so we hired contractors. It's like, well your interview process for a contracting company is, hey, do you have anybody? They say yes, and then they just start billing you. I promise you, if you had the same <laughs> interview process for a junior developer, you'd get plenty of good, plenty of developers as well, whether they're senior or junior. So, like, it's this weird, like, oh, well, we can fire them at any time, but they never do. They keep on the payroll for years, and then it's like they just do more damage than good. So, like, I was very, wow. very sort of sad not to be able to see sort of your take on it. 
Yeah. And the thing is like in Florida, it's a right to work state. There's no protections or anything. A company can fire you over anything, you know, time of day feeling, you know, Oh, I like the color blue today, whatever. And yet there's still this like huge fear that, Oh, we're going to hire the wrong person and it's going to ruin our entire company and everything. And yet you have this situation, like you said, where they'll hire contractors and then they have to hire more experienced contractors to clean up the mess of the previous contractors and, and that whole cycle. So it, it's a mess, but we did want to talk about your talk, which was TypeScript. So, uh, Eddie uses TypeScript. I recently started getting into it. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on it? Do you like it? Do you think it's good? Does it need work? Where are you at with TypeScript? Yeah, so I love it. And I think pretty much every front-end project specifically and any sort of JavaScript project should be using it today. That's, that's sort of my stance on it. But like anything else, in the wrong hands, it just makes things makes things a little bit harder to work with if you're not sure what you're doing. And so like a lot of times the issue that I see with TypeScript is that people don't want to use it and then they create a headache for themselves down the road. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. My, uh, my boss has been kind of this anti TypeScript person on our, uh, our recent project just because he's been using JavaScript for so long and he just feels like it's slowing him down or we're arguing about types or, you know, that whole type puzzle situation that you find yourself in. And I feel like he's not giving it a fair chance. Yeah. Why do I have to write an interface? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, let's just put any in here. And it's like, yeah. no, you can't do that. No, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's sort of strange because I've, I've interviewed at places sometimes where they have this sort of, it seems to be with more established JavaScript devs where they have more years of experience where um, they don't want to use like ES6 classes. They're just going to keep creating, um, you know, how you know prototypes and and, prototypes? and functions yeah. to define your classes and it's like well uh, no they actually made this so it's easier to read and it made more sense and like as my girlfriend is going through boot camp right now she was going to do classes and i showed her first the es6 class way of doing things that first the other she's like i don't understand what the hell the second one was but the first one made sense yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and typescript's kind of the same thing where it adds that readability it adds that, um, you know, there, a good portion of your errors that go into JavaScript are type-based, and it, it's, it, it's more help during dev, but, you know, for those people who have, don't, don't want to use it, it's, you can't be, in software development, you can't be stuck in your ways, right? So, like, if something came and TypeScript was all of a sudden shit, and then you're like, oh, cool, I'm going to transition this transition if it actually does a better job, right? So, like, the thing I always talk shit on uh, is jQuery. Like, jQuery had a point in time where it was something, it solved a function. It solved function to make maybe um, UIs a little bit more animated, make selectors a little bit easier. But in 2019, you know, we have frameworks for these more complex web apps and jQuery should not be used in large scale production applications for, for numerous reasons. And so sort of the same thing is like, you know, some technologies have sort of start dates and then they sort of, you know, they fizzle out over time and you shouldn't be afraid that something is fizzling out into something better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, TypeScript, I think definitely has its place. Um, you know, if you're making a side project or something, the benefits of it might not be immediately obvious, 
But as I've been using it on, you know, something a little bit more complicated, I find myself catching a lot of small errors that I would probably have to go back in a code review and fix, you know, or through manual testing or something like that. So I don't know. You, you just have to try it, I think, and really give it a fair chance. Um, but your, your talk was kind of in the direction of how not to shoot yourself in the foot with TypeScript, which is pretty interesting. And, uh, I think one of the main points as I was kind of going through, um, your slides was built in helpers and kind of avoiding that, you know, let's slap any on it or let's, uh, you know, make like a huge interface or something like that. So, um, yeah, any is the herpes of TypeScript. And so <laughs> it's, you know, you put that one place, all of a sudden it's another place and then your whole, whole app has any, right? And so it's, it really is. Like it's, it's one of the worst things and it should be avoided at all costs. And it can be, there really should be no, the only time I ever use an any is when I'm quite literally fetching data from an API. If there's a third party, API, even if I wrote the API, if, if it's, because I don't know what's coming back. And then you map your models and everything, but you need to, you know, TypeScript and really just good object oriented programming allows you to avoid a lot of issues and be able to gracefully fail a lot better. Because, um, and from a readability standpoint, which is, I think, the number one thing that TypeScript gives you, 90% of your job is reading code. Whether it's you read what you wrote last week, what someone wrote two years ago, whatever it is, 90% of your job is reading how this shit works and how you're going to make it work some more. Like, that's the job, and TypeScript makes that significantly easier. Yeah, definitely. I think we got our first t-shirt. Any is the herpes of TypeScript? Yeah. (laughs) Print it. So, uh, yeah, part of that was... um, helpers. So I, I recently discovered like, uh, my boss went to a conference or something. He came back and he was like, man, they, they wrote this awesome TypeScript library. It has like, you know, all these, uh, things that turn partials into like, you know, all the parameters can be optional or you can specify them and stuff like that. And so I looked at it and at the bottom of the documentation, it's like, Oh, Hey, by the way, there's a bunch of helpers in TypeScript already that, you know, nobody knows about. I was like, Oh, well, we could just use this instead of this guy's library. So I didn't even know about that in, in TypeScript. Um, so is that kind of like, if you weren't going to use any to take in a bunch of information from a third-party API, would you use like partials or something or some of those built-in helpers to deal with that? So in the case of any, literally that's the only spot where if I'm hitting an API, it's an any. I don't know what it is. But my models, and so the majority of my talk was about how to have your models never fail. So you should always be mapping to a model or updating a model and you should never just <laughs> create objects. Like just create an object you're going to use for this one scenario that grows out of scope. You should always have models and your data should have defaults and stuff like that. But yeah, TypeScript does have a lot of cool stuff like partials. And part of my talk, I was like, oh, hey, if you are not, if you don't want to pass a whole object into the constructor, you can pass in a piece, right? Because maybe your whole object's defined, but you don't care about 90% of it in this case. And then you don't have yeah. any typo errors and you know sometimes you're only passing around so part so one one thing that i want i didn't get to talk about in my talk about partials is people very quickly will start using partials incorrectly and they'll stop following the interface segregation principle where now instead of having a separate property that's an object that's its own defined class or or uh, interface 
they'll instead just keep adding properties to the, the root level of the model, which then creates another problem because now they can do partials everywhere and they're just going to call the one, two, three, four pieces that they do. But there there is TypeScript, and it's sort of strange because like TypeScript hasn't really changed since like TypeScript 2 that came out forever ago and pretty much has done. It just keeps getting stricter and a little bit more flexible at the same time in weird ways, but they don't really tell you about all the flexible stuff. And if you go read the change log on TypeScript, it's like black magic. They're doing like discrete <laughs> mathematics and some of this stuff. I'm like, what did you change? Like, I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Can yeah, you uh, dig a little deeper into the what the Whatever you just mentioned. Are you talking about uh, the models and the parts? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, okay. I think... Yeah, I mean, the interface that, segregation principle... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? Okay, so... The interface segregation principle is part of the solid principle. So, um, one thing... Okay that I always recommend that anybody at any skill level learn is the solid principles. It's really going to help you write your code in a, a better fashion that's more maintainable. It's sort of uh, if you're familiar with Uncle Bob and clean code and all that sort of stuff. He preaches. He's been preaching this for like 20, 30 years. Uh, and I imagine he will till the day he dies. But the the general idea with the interface segregation principle is that your your objects and your your classes should... You know, you could have properties that contain other properties, right? So let's say that you are a you are a, a person, right, on Facebook. You might have a friends array, and you might have a first name, a last name, and then you might have something like like address, which would then you would do you wouldn't do city, state, um, you know, postal code, a, um, you know, street address address would be its own object because that is and that is you know we're segregating that because address is really although it's being appended to the person object is actually its own thing that so we wouldn't necessarily keep chaining it in person because it's part of the address if that makes sense and that okay. that is in itself it's separate um separate interface uh, i see okay that makes more sense i think the other part was um like when you're getting information in from an API and you declare it as any, you then take it and pass it into like a constructor to create this data model that you're going to work with, right? Yes, yeah. So um, I I validate every single value that comes into that model. So even if I do pass it in any into my my cons for my constructor parameter, I I check that hey this I say array is array, right? Is this an array? And then I map it to the you know if it's not a, a primitive, I then map it with a class that passes into its own constructor so that I get those sort of helper methods that come that come with the class and it's actually going and having default values and so that that every single value that comes through my models has a default value associated with it. Yeah, so we um we would do something where we would have like a type guard function where it would take in this any value and then validate like okay, does it have this thing and this thing and is it of this type and whatnot and then kind of like tell us yes it passes or no it doesn't and then um i think typescript has something where you use like an is keyword and then it will classify that thing as that type if it passes or something like that so i imagine that's like the other route that you could go with uh data modeling uh is i i don't know what typescript is is that's something new to me yeah i don't know what that is either so it's a custom type guard function that you can write 
And basically it kind of does the same kind of thing that Dylan's describing where instead of passing some kind of like mystery object into a constructor and then spit out your known data type, um, you're taking that same mystery data, passing it into a function and then saying like the return value is blah, like is this thing, um, which would be like an interface or something like that. And so it's like casting um, the type to the value after you validate that it is that shape. It's a really weird abstract thing to describe. <laughs> but uh, if you look up custom type guards, uh, it should pop up somewhere in TypeScript's documentation. I have to check that out. That sounds right up my alley. <laughs> I will send you code snippets and show you what I'm talking about. But what you're talking about, I think I have heard of in um, like C Sharp, uh, where you don't d deal like directly with JSON. You take it and pass it into like a factory or a, a constructor or something, and then it spits out your formatted data on the other side. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's not necessarily language specific. I mean, pretty much any, any, any language that uses classes can do it. But the, the idea is pretty much the same of not taking just a value and it, and saying oh yeah hopefully it's right hopefully hopefully they didn't break it or change anything and instead sort of uh, from a front end perspective trying to say look it's going to be in this form whether there's a value or not it's going to have a default value so that my app doesn't blow up right so the other thing that you mentioned in your uh in your objectives for your typescript talk were um some like tslint and vs code settings uh, what are you tweaking in, in there to uh, make that experience better? Yeah, so pretty much any time there's something I think can be automated, it usually is automated, whether it's a, a big feature that you know about or not. So, And this all started when I was like, I'm sick of hitting auto format. There's got <laughs> to be a way that this just does it for me. And then after that, I've now looked for everything. So, um, you know, you can go ahead and have it auto format on save and you can have it uh, lint on save as well. So like anything that has auto linting rules that it can fix for you, it'll do that so you don't have to do that. Now in things That's where cool. it's like double equals versus triple equals where it's going to change the logic, you're going to have to go change that. But you have all the other lint errors like, oh, well, I should use double quotes instead of single quotes or whatever you're saying. Or I should have, um, you know, had a new line at the end of the file, you know, a bunch of stuff. The yeah, 100%. Uh, the uh, other stuff on there was that when I move files, it will then re-update the file paths of my import. So, like, say you want something in a better folder structure, it'll handle those import changes, which really is... I don't know how many times I've gone into a project, and it's just, like, everything's in one folder, one root folder, and, like, it's just 100 files, in the, or 100 folders. And that's fine if it makes sense, but that's not how the app flows, so maybe we should have the code flow like the app to a degree. Um, so that solves a lot of issues there. Also, the removing of imports and organizing them. So I, I know with the TypeScript, there's been a lot of imports where, like, oh, hey, no one... So we, at some point we had dependency, but no one cleaned it up, and then you got to clean it up, and it's unorganized. There's a lot of stuff that you can do with that. Um, but those are the, the major ones that come to mind right now. Cool. That's cool. Uh, what about, I, I saw this in your um, in your slides, but had no idea what I was talking about. Uh, abstract classes. What is that? Yeah. So, um, you know, one thing that you'll, if uh, in there is that I, I don't use interfaces. 
Uh, and I, I suggest that most people don't. I think they should abandon interfaces altogether and just force um, abstract classes. So abstract classes okay. at their core are um, interfaces, if you want to think of about it that way, that can have implementation logic. And so uh, much like how you can define a model in an interface, a abstract class can do the same thing, except it can go even more specific where now, where your interface is just like, hey, it has this property or this, this function, whatever, uh, declaration. Your abstract class can actually put access modifiers on there to define that. So when I extend, or um, rather, <laughs> in this case, when I implement my interface, or in my case, abstract class, I can mark it as a private, a public, or a static method that I'm expecting to be implemented. I also can go ahead and have methods like in any other class that would work there that can be extended from. Uh, and part of the benefit of that versus interfaces, let's say we have a base level interface, but we all have four widths that's extended in four different ways. We can't put a function in there, a method rather, that's going to be used. One of the additional things about abstract class is it's, you can't create an abstract class in the sense of it has no construct. It has no real constructor. And so, you know, it's it's one of those items where it's essentially forced to be uh, similar to an interface, right? You're not going to create a, you know, something new interface. Abstract class, same way, where it's going to, you can't go new, you know, abstract class. So that's what my personal preference is, and I, I think a better way of doing things, because I think it supports the, the open-close principle, which allows things to be much more extendable, where now, you, instead of having to go back to change your interface down the road, you could have done something that was a little bit more specific with an abstract class. It also gave more flexibility in how to um, extend our models down the road. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't... I'd have to look at a sample, I think, to fully wrap my head around it, but uh, I'll definitely check that out. I mean, it, it's really... well. Uh, the only reason you would really use an abstract class is to... Um, implement or extend something else like and it's even a service right i i used an example of how we in angular we inject our abstract class which uh doesn't have the implementation logic but it just has the definition and that way when we do our testing we can inject our mock without having to cast anything or and then we in our module we tell it instead to, to swap in the actual implementation which also extends the abstract class for the definition so similar to what you could do with the interface there but, um, you know, you can use this. Typically, you're only going to be using it if you're going to be implementing or extending it with any child classes. Okay. I'm intrigued, but again, I, I'm a little lost on the details. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the... And part, of the reason, part of the things I tried to cover in my talk and, and sort of the, a point I was trying to make was that these aren't things that you have you would have any idea really about if you've only ever coded in JavaScript. And part of the reason I'm very pro TypeScript is we're all going to work in different... Uh, it's sort of shocking early in our careers where we're like, yeah, I'm just going to work in JavaScript. It's like, maybe. Or you might your work might say, hey, we need you to hop into C Sharp. Or hey, we need to hop you in Java. Or, or whatever the hell comes next year, right? You've, you're going to need to pick up more languages. And TypeScript exposes you to more features that other languages have and eventually javascript will have as they add uh whatever features they're going to add and so it helps you understand some of these higher level items like uh, polymorphism and uh, encapsulation and things that 
you wouldn't be exposed to necessarily if you only ever did JavaScript. Yeah, definitely. Um, JavaScript is kind of a piss poor teacher as far as object oriented programming. Like everything that's in there feels like a half measure, like the whole prototype thing and um, kind of the syntactical sugar of classes on top of that. You can't have private, you know, um, variables within that class or private properties. Uh, you can't mark stuff as read only. Nothing is like able to be marked static. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that you lose out on. But then like TypeScript, because it's so far in that direction, lets you get your hands on some of that stuff, which is really nice. Did you did we cut out there for a second? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I just agreed with you, what you said. I didn't have anything to follow up with. After that. I got, I perfectly, got to add. perfectly said. There you go. Cool. So uh, <clears throat> we wanted to uh, also talk uh, not just about tech stuff, but uh, kind of your whole backstory, which... Um, as I understand it, you started out uh, delivering pizzas and then kind of made your way into development from there? Yeah, yeah. So I am a uh, proud two-time college dropout, as I like to say. <laughs> and, um, it's like Kanye, but better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked it so much once I did it a second time. Uh, so, um, But yeah, so I um, I was a miserable college student and just sort of half-ass in um, college at, for like six years and and had like 200, 200 credits completed and just bounced around and all this stupid stuff. And I, I just couldn't take any more. So I created a plan to sort of escape. And I at that point, I knew I wanted to do um, web development because I just fell in love with it. And I was like, all right. So I took a internship and then eventually for like $12 an hour that was two hours away each way and got there at like 6 a.m. every day. It was miserable, but nice. it's sort of my, you know, first three months there. And then they had me uh, work remote for three months and I wasn't doing anything like other than HTML, CSS and WordPress. It was really awful. And then I got a job sort of a mixture of YouTube, right? So I, as I mentioned, YouTube's been the way that I've sort of been teaching myself and I sort of got my start as at like, I had like, 200 subscribers but they were impressed that i was coding and i was doing this and that and i got hired at a software company do as a technology trainer which was sort of a ba and like technical documenter role and uh okay. about nine months later i took a job uh and uh, before all this i was delivering pizzas for like six seven years as i was as i was uh you know going to school and i took a job and moved all the way across country from california to florida that's where i've been ever since oh wow wow so did you have did you ever explore like programming while you were in college or feel like that's sort of where you yeah I was go? so I was I was a computer science student and I was there and um I don't I I don't know if maybe it's just the the Cal State programs but I didn't really do any programming uh, so I had like <laughs> I had like maybe five Java courses and the the rest of it is like your it's your general ed it's your um your mathematics so I did college algebra trigonometry calc one two three discrete mathematics geometry um i think i even did pre-algebra as a warm-up because i wasn't sure like oh hey uh but then you do physics one two three and all this sort of shit that you're never going to use and uh then you have all your other electives that go with it and yeah so um of it i did maybe four or five i did one html css course three java courses and then one course on uh scala and one course on python c plus plus so like um just sort of played around in those and they didn't really do anything complex or anything like that 
but the way that I really taught myself was completely free resources. So once I dropped out of school, I didn't spend because I'm I'm like a starving. Um, it's just I'm making like forty five thousand dollars a year, totally on my own in, in Southern California, and barely getting by. Like my mom's bringing me groceries. I'm living in this like crack shack that I'm sort of <laughs> renting a room from, and uh, I'm just every day four hours on a weekday like 14 hours on a weekend just doing nothing but free resources youtube code academy free code camp code wars um you know the free udacity courses like literally everything i could get my hand on going to meetups um code fights anything and i didn't spend a dollar i don't recommend that but i was like so money hungry that like for actually money like (laughs) like like, uh someone asked me the other day what was like what motivated you when you're learning to code what problem were you trying to solve i was like poverty for myself (laughs) (laughs) like like, that was literally it i was sick of being broke and i was sick of being hungry i was sick of being miserable which was sort of the the three things that i i sort of got i was like i can't do this anymore and i started evaluating my options yeah, yeah, that's uh, I I can relate. Um, <laughs> the the crack shack thing definitely tickles my funny bone. I uh, when I was in the fire department, we were making like twelve bucks an hour or something stupid. I got this place that was uh, was like a little bit less than five hundred bucks a month for rent. It was like a two bedroom, um, like duplex thing. Yeah, man, it was super cheap, <laughs> but uh, it was cool because the guy next door was dealing drugs, and so in the morning, like 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 dollar bills would blow onto the lawn because he was like dealing drugs at night and so the money would like catch the wind and uh show up on the driveway yeah it was it was fantastic um <laughs> so i'm kind of curious like you you took a lot of um even though you said it's oh it's only 3 or 4 or whatever that's like a solid couple semesters of actual uh, coding programs in, uh, in college. So like, what, what did you think of those courses and did they help you at all when you were doing your, your self-teaching? No, they didn't help me at all. And I, I mean, part of the, one of the things that pushed me over the edge is I was about a year and a half away from graduating at that point, And they changed the, um, they changed the, the way their courses sort of flow. And then it's going to be like two and a half years because of it. And that just sort of pushed me over the edge. Uh, but, I would say that the the only thing that I really got out of it was I met some some nice people. That's about it. Uh, although I don't really stay in contact with them anymore because we're on different coasts at this point. But everything that I do today, everything that I've learned up to this point has been all free resources and time, effort, and energy. Not a single thing I used um, in in uh, college that's really applied and like those everything from doing some of those traditional algorithms has gone in one ear and out the other and everything that i've actually retained has been through the workplace through learning through the books that i read through the courses that i've been doing the very practical hands-on things yeah some people might think i'm i'm leading the witness a little bit but uh i i kind of have the same opinion of college and that they aren't really doing you justice for all the money that you're paying. Um, the the programs just seem to be from everybody that we talk to and from my own experience, way behind the times and not really preparing you at all for an actual job when you get out of school. Yeah, it it is a bit interesting because I nowadays I'm I'm 
nowadays I could, if I wanted to, I could fund college out of pocket, no problem. And even my work would pay for it. But I always think like, hence the, the two time college dropout. Cause I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I still do think about it from time to time that like, it does bother me that I didn't finish something like that. And like, I'd spent so much time and even being able to, to do it for free. Now there is a cost, like a time cost. Like people are so caught up on the money cost of college and like I, I obviously if anybody's watched my channel i'm very like i'm very do your own thing like but like college isn't the only route because you have to remember when you're putting time into a computer science program you're putting a lot of hours in and you're putting probably about 40 50 grand a cost but then you're also putting four years of time if you gave me four yeah. years you could you could teach yourself to code in four years and have a job and probably two to three to years of experience very yeah. relatively easily done it for free and then worked a part-time job there are better options in this field and then you can always go back and get a job they'll get a company that'll pay for it if it's something that's important but i do think about it I w i'd be i'd be lying if i said i don't think about it but i never do it just because like when i evaluate if i put a thousand hours into something into a side project that's a much better investment nowadays than it would be to put a thousand hours into get, getting a degree yeah yeah that's uh opportunity costs, right? Yeah, I, uh, I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. Um, sometimes I like to think about it when, uh, people are talking about getting their first, you know, developer job or whatever. And they're like, Oh, I want to go to this place and they pay this much. And I want to go to this place and they pay this much. And I'm thinking, what are you going to learn when you're there? Like what, what's the better company that you can learn from? Because that time that you spend working there, is, you know, yeah, it's a bullet point on your resume. Like I worked for a couple of years at this job, but in that time you could be learning like a lot, a lot of stuff, like you said. So, um, that that's always weighing on my mind to, to that point. It's something I've made a decision. I, so I took my first job and I, I went and got like 62,000. I went to 67 after three months. And then I was job hopping after I figured out one year, at one year, when you're like no more than all the senior devs, it's time to go. <laughs> so it's like, that's not like an ego thing. It was just like a clear thing that was occurring. And so I was like, okay, cool. I, I'm going to move on. And uh, I had two offers. I had one for 75000 I had one for 90000 I wow. took the one for 75000 because I knew instantly that I was going to be a better dev at that workplace. And even though the other company was a more established name, they're willing to pay more, the people there looked miserable, for one, and they were mm. working in outdated technologies, which I was like, okay, I'll go to this other place for a year, and I'll, I'll beat that 90000 no problem. Yeah, you can go get a $150,000 COBOL job if you wanted to. But it's kind of like, is that career suicide, you know, just be pigeonholed into that? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, sorry. Do you want to no, go ahead? Something? Okay. I just want to ask, like, uh, what are some of the books you read, things you did, like, to learn? Like, So part of the reason I, that's, I took that, that lower paying job is I knew from the person that i interviewed with the tech lead i'd be working that he could provide me the direction i needed so sometimes okay. uh, junior developers are they they're just going to be told like oh yeah someone's just going to take me and they're going to make me their their project wrong the best that you can <laughs> hope for is that you have a, a highly educated resource where you say this is what my goal is can you provide me some direction and you might get a paragraph out of them a week 
That's more than enough for you to say, hey, here are the four directions. Where do I run? I have the energy. I'm going to sprint. Uh, and so I, I used him as a resource. And so I started reading things like clean code, clean architecture, um, code complete. Um, the clean coder started really diving in deep to testing and, and um, the solid principles and all these items that allowed me to increase my salary ra rather rapidly and um, double it within two years. And so like, so one of those, that was it. And just building things, constantly building things. The, the building up, not necessarily your personal brand, because I hate that word, but building up. <laughs> uh, Me too. It's, it's, it's sort of, it's a, it's a, it's a slimy it's a word. Yeah. 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 Um, they kind of have that where I work is like, you have to build up your, like yeah. your, yes, yeah, personal brand. You got to sell so. yourself. Like, yeah. Like a, I hate you know <laughs> yeah but instead of selling yourself you could build something that speaks for itself and that's what yeah. i try to do and I so like instead of better. so i part of the issue i have with personal brand is like it makes it seem like you're presenting yourself as something you're not and so like i always try to be very honest about who i am and what's important to me instead of trying to give you the answer some people think but those were the resources I did and I just built and I consistency, whether it was the YouTube channel, the podcast, building courses. I said, Hey, I want to get better at algorithms. I started doing algorithms. Okay, cool. I want to build a, a project. I'm doing this and really been going nonstop for about four years, pretty much always had one to two things that I'm always working on, but just having that resource to say, where can I improve and be honest and work in different technologies and utilize, f figure out how to utilize them. Yeah, hustling pretty hard, it seems like, uh, with everything that you got going on. Um, so kind of going with that point, um, you've got like all these courses and podcasts, YouTube channel, all that stuff. I know you started the uh, the YouTube channel before you got hired. Um, and that's like really a great strategy for, uh, you know, getting people to notice you and kind of kind of sell your abilities before you can even get out there. But uh, why did you keep going with it, and why did you expand in, like, all these other areas? Yeah, so when I started it, it was literally just the objective of, like, this would be a cool video portfolio. I had a buddy who has a career channel called Engineer Truth, and he and I grew up, and he'd be over telling me about it. And I was like, that's kind of cool, and he's making a little bit of money. And so I was like, all right, it's going to be a cool video project. Maybe it'll help me become a better developer. And maybe it'll get me noticed so I can get that first job. That was sort of the extent, and we'll see what happens. But what has sort of continued to happen with it is it, it has helped me at every stage of my career. It has helped me get my foot in the door with the internship, get my get my um, very first sort of technical role, get my next role. Like, literally, the first job I got hired, it was an AngularJS. They watched some videos and said, hey, we didn't need to give you a skills exam because we saw you build a project in AngularJS and, and do <laughs> it right cool. there live, and that was enough for me. And, like, every single project has showed that... Because what, what the, few, the few companies where the tech leads and the seniors have convinced them that we should go with this junior developer is because the junior developer is learning... They have passion and they can prove it. And like, it's been very helpful for that. But what makes a good side project is something that is long-term that you can turn a buck in. And the reason I say that the whole turn a, turn a dollar in is not because I'm, I'm super money hungry, but I am. But it's because, <laughs> it's because 
oddly enough, when something starts making you money, it's much easier to dedicate a little bit of your time to it every every weekend, every week where yeah. you're like, oh, hey, this is making me $1,000 a month. I can spend a little bit of time this week. You know, when you, you're like, oh, I spent 20 hours this month. That's still $50 an hour to work on this thing that's coming in passively. But I just really enjoyed it more than anything else is like I still wanted to code something. I had no idea how to what else to do. I was like, here's this thing I've been doing and I've enjoyed it. And it sort of has taught me that at some point I want to be a teacher, like in, in, a, in a physical sense, in, in a classroom. Um, but I just really started loving it. And I've, you know, I've always catered it to what I want to do. So a lot of people where they burn out with like YouTube and things like that is they try to figure out what their audience wants. I don't care what they want. I care what <laughs> I want to do. So if you go through my stuff, some of it's like, couple months i'm live streaming couple months i'm doing algorithms couple months i'm i'm building projects Couple months i'm just talking it's whatever i want to do how i want to get better and that's been what's been the main driving force for me to sort of continue to grow awesome that's cool yeah so i have to ask because eddie and i are kind of like in that mindset in that uh rat race a little bit ourselves with a podcast and we're hoping to do like some youtube stuff ourselves um what has been like the greatest uh, or what has had the greatest rate of return as far as all those different side projects that you've worked on? Uh, so definitely YouTube. So because like if you count my salary, because uh, I, I think my salary is com- dependent upon that. But if we take that, it's still YouTube because that's been the platform of how I've been able to get out these other projects. Right. It's sort of the gateway. And I, I, I personally need to be a better be better at collecting emails and doing things that like hey if you they block me on youtube i'm have other stuff but like it's not nearly as popular but the rate of return for something isn't something you necessarily need to be worried about right away and it's sort of a a strange thing to say it's just get going build something do that consistency get something out there and you'll find out what works you find out what, what what doesn't work right so like the courses are kind of cool so like building courses are nice but you need someone to buy your course right so like right yeah yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. half of my traffic for my courses come from udemy directly really yeah and so you know that's a couple hundred dollars a month uh on a on a slow month and so you say okay cool i built this thing which are courses by the way take so much time but they're one and done. They're one and done. So like the courses I try to build nowadays are courses where they don't require updates. Like I had some Angular courses that I retired because you have to yeah, update them every six right. months. Yeah. yeah. No. As a, uh, but now I, I build courses for things that aren't going to going to expire essentially. Uh, but if you can build something once and then sell it many times, that should be the goal. So YouTube's great for that. Building courses is great for that. Um, writing a book is great for that, but you still have to have somebody to sell it to. And that sort of brings you back to sharing it. Like in, in 2019, 2020, the number one way to make money is to give shit away for free. Like it's sort of crazy. Like how many <laughs> people, weird. yeah. Like how many people know Gary V Gary V right. Is a great example of this whole personal branding sort of thing. He gives everything away for free for the most part. And then you, 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 you do this sort of a premium on some additional things. And so you give all this content away for free. And then the people who are there, they become your fans. They like what you do. They want to support you. Maybe they help you on Patreon. Maybe they help you buy your courses and then you can sell them stuff along the ways. That's sort of the, the really the way that you should think about sort of getting stuff out there. People who create a paywall out the gate, 
it's it's not it's going to be a much harder battle. Yeah, I've heard similar advice from uh, some other people we've talked to, um, saying they probably have read Gary Vee and said the same thing, like give away the best information for free and then kind of loop people for that extra super awesome premium stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but you'll you'll make so like I make about three times what I make in ad revenue just on all these little things that I've worked on once or twice and you set up affiliate links and you know, you sell courses and all this other stuff. So you'll start getting additional revenue streams by your one revenue stream where it's at some point it becomes less than what your other ones are that are based off of it. That's cool. Yeah, I've heard passive income is kind of the term used for a lot of this stuff. Like, you know, get something out there and then just let it collect. Yeah, and, and sometimes people think like they have unrealistic expectations of what a passive like how much passive income you should make if you're making five hundred dollars a month off youtube you have to think do you know how much like if you were collecting dividends off of like the average dividend is something like three percent in stocks so if you had a hundred thousand dollars invested you'd make three thousand dollars a year you'll double that making six thousand dollars a year at five hundred dollars a month on youtube and you don't have to have a hundred thousand you just have to have some time effort and energy and you can still do the dividend stuff so like one thing that i was like so like i'm very i try to like i have no debt minus my home right and so i take all the money i make from all these side things i live below my means and i throw that into investments i throw that into the mortgage so that if all this stuff uh, dries up i wasn't out having a good time i was out there setting up my future with these passive income streams because it's one of the hardest things that you can do is create additional money to go and work for you yeah that's very smart that's really cool yeah last thing you want to do is go buy a ferrari <laughs> or the, the worst cyber, investment. The cyber truck <laughs> <laughs> i saw a, a typescript meme with the, the uh whatever it is that the tesla truck where it's got like the windows built with like at TS ignore and any and all that stuff. And then he's like me building TypeScript and it's Elon Musk. And then him like smashing the window with that metal bowling ball. <laughs> so yeah, the, uh, the passive income is, is kind of very lucrative. Um, but what about, uh, like your fan base? Uh, I know you said you don't really, uh, you don't try and think about what the fans would want or what content does well. But I know you've kind of like amassed this big YouTube following. Was there any lessons that you learned from that or any strategies that you put into it? Yeah. So if I was to give some advice, um, consistency is the most important thing. So like they, this last year, I've been it's been sort of a rough year and I've been working on other things and whatnot. And I've never I, I personally don't care that my views go up or my or down or my subscribers go up or down. But most people do. And so you want to keep that consistent. You don't want to take any months off. So if you're posting two videos a week, keep posting two videos a week. Don't go down to one or none. And, you know, you want to keep that consistent. As far as, like, the – the I hate the word fans or subscribers. As far as – I just – I don't have a good – I don't have a good word for it. And Because friends – Yeah, friends isn't right either. Um, but as, as far as people who follow my career, uh, they, you know – if they like what I'm doing, because it's it's all software related. Everything I'm doing is software related. It's not like all of a sudden I'm out there, um, you know, preaching gospel or something. Uh, but it's, it's like a different direction. But they should, you know, people are going to come, people are going to go. But 
oftentimes I try to create where I see that the, the most value is. And for most people, they're aspiring developers or junior developers. Although it's sort of been changing because like the more people I meet, they used to be those aspiring developers. Now they're those junior developers who are like, dude, I was watching you when the microwave was in the background. And so now it's like <laughs> maybe some of my stuff is slowly migrating where instead of creating an interview course, maybe I'm creating a, um, a course dedicated to leveling up from a junior to a senior level developer. And so these are some of the things That's I cool. think about when I think about what I'm going to build and what I'm going to market and what, you know, all that sort of stuff. Cool. So, uh, Dylan, where can we find you on the internet? What, uh, what all projects should we look out for? Yeah. Yeah. You can always Google Dylan Israel. The first page and a half or so will come up with various things. GitHub YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash coding tutorials 360. You can go to dylanisrael.com. You also check out my podcast at self taught or not. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, probably fo- find my Udemy courses. My latest one's the 100 front-end interview question challenge. I'm, I'm really big on this 100 theme. So, like, every course <laughs> that I'm building now, so I did 100 algorithm challenge, 100 front-end interview. My next course, I think, is going to be the 100 um, Angular challenge, which is, like, going to be components, pipes, directives, all the stuff that you would normally make. And uh, see if you just build 100 different things. But you can check those out um, uh, by going to dylanisrael.com as well. Sweet. So uh, at the end of every show, we do a little segment called Nerd Minute, where we just talk about whatever we've been into lately, comics, video games, uh, regular books, whatever. So uh, Dylan, have you taken any time to do anything non-productive lately and kind of uh, play some yeah. video games or something? Yeah, it's so funny. When I was on the, the Thunder Nerds podcast, they asked this question twice because they, they were like, no, really, <laughs> how do you relax? They're like, dude, I'm not joking, man. I don't do anything but like work on stuff and like but uh <laughs> yeah i do walk my dogs and i watch some anime and uh board games is something that i I do quite frequently so about once a month uh have board games with some some friends of mine i uh i just got a, a birthday gift for the um shards of infinity expansion and i also bought the ascension expan- uh ascension board game which is a, a card-based game, and so lots of lots of little board games here or there, and uh, game nights, and usually do dinner and have some people over. But that that's sort of been uh, my my main uh, main thing lately. Cool. What's uh What's the old go-to, or what's the most popular fan favorite for board games at your place? Oh, so it depends on the amount of people. If there's a good amount of people, if like eight, we play a game called Secret Hitler, which <laughs> oh, uh, okay. What? I've heard of yeah. <laughs> So Secret Hitler is essentially there is um, a set amount. Nobody knows who anybody else, essentially. Yeah. And so there are Nazis and then there are uh, liberals. And basically, like, say there's like two Nazis and one person is secretly Hitler. The two Nazis know who Hitler is, but nobody else does. And so basically there's actions that are happening where people are trying to figure out who the Nazis are. And then you, you sometimes have to vote people out. And, you know, it's, it's one of those games. So, so it's a very psychology-based game where, like, you're like, you know, you're just screaming, "You're an effing Nazi!" You're <laughs> uh, that's a that's a good one. Uh, other one, um, it really depends, man. So it's it's a sort of card. I I like card games. So like, I like uh, deck building games where okay, you're sort of starting with ten of basic cards, and then you're you know you're powering up your deck and getting rid of the the shitty starter cards, and then you're sort of uh working together i'd love to play like uh munchkins but for like the group of guys i play with that's too mainstream for them they're a bunch of hipster nerds and so like <laughs> you know they won't play munchkins um 
last time that we played uh, Rummy Cube, which is like a grandmother's game, but I love Rummy Cube because I grew up playing on it, uh, which was uh, a lot of fun. Okay. What's, uh, what other card-based game? Do you do like Magic the Gathering or Pokemon or collectible card games, or it's like everything's in the box kind of card game? I would like to, but there's, there seems to be too big of a time commitment time commitment when it comes to because I, I do play like card games on steam every now and again and i, I like stuff like mm-hmm. that but like when it comes to because i i've pretty much hung around with nothing but like people who play magic and stuff like that all my friends are developers nowadays and you know it's that when that happens there's about a 90 percent chance that they're playing magic the gathering yeah, a bunch of ultra nerds right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's it's not like it's not like if anyone walked up and be like, hey, you play Magic, I'd be offended. It's because, like, yeah, <laughs> it's like there's probably a decent chance. Uh, but the time commitment with that and, and sort of wanting to build the best deck and, and like, spend the spend the money on the cards and stuff like that, because, like, that part, I, I, I like being competitive with anything I do. And so it's, it's I, I stay away uh, is the, the answer to that. Gotcha. Eddie, uh, you got anything for Nerd Minute? <clears throat> so, um, I was uh, looking around on Netflix. Uh, the Nazi thing you brought up kind of um, reminded me of something I saw over the weekend. Um, it's called Iron Sky. Have you seen this at all? Is that where the Nazis are on the moon? Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. my God, that's what? so bad. It's so yeah, bad. It is bad. <laughs> so there it it starts out with like uh it's it's this is like a sequel to like uh iron sky whatever Uh, so the first one's iron sky this is iron sky i forgot what the subtitle is but this is a sequel where they're on the moon this time and like there are nuclear bombs set off all over the earth so there are only these lizard people that live in the center of the earth <laughs> sounds and, like an um, Alex Jones nightmare. So, like. <laughs> so these uh there's like this last colony of people on the moon and they go back to Earth because one of the lizard people, Nazis, told them to go back there to get some medicine for this girl's mom or whatever. And then uh they go back to the center of the earth and they're freaking they're dinosaurs all over the place. And it, it, it's it's insane. I fell asleep watching it because it's kind of bad. But it, it it was just uh it, it was it was really weird and uh, what, a, what a pick yeah <laughs> yeah Netflix so, uh, has some really good animes and some really bad animes and like this is a, this is a actual movie though oh no like mo- movies it, in general I only watch anime yeah, yeah, yeah. but like yeah okay I tried to watch the they have like this Godzilla it's three different movies and I was expecting it to yeah. get good at some point yeah. it never nope. did that was my hopes were high <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> How do you mess up Godzilla, right? Yeah. Uh, on that note, um, I was watching uh, an anime recently that I, I really enjoy, which is uh, absolutely insane bananas over the top. Uh, it's called No Guns Life, and it is about a private detective that has a gun for a head. It's, yeah, it's like a uh, <clears throat> cyberpunk, um, everybody's like cyborg kind of anime, and I guess this guy was augmented in like some world war or something that took place before the show. And he has a revolver for a head and like a handle and a trigger behind his uh, head. And then like a gun in his fist. And it's really wacky, but uh, it's kind of cool because they, 
the themes of the show are very modern as in like um it's it's like a hot take on corporate america and like companies owning people and uh owning like uh their bodies and, and stuff like that while at the same time being absolutely ridiculous and the guy having a gun for a head so um it's been really good so far uh, i've really enjoyed it have have you watched sound and fury on netflix uh no Fre- uh, 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 Frederick, if I remember his name correctly, who was uh, he interviewed us right? For oh yeah, for Thunderbirds. Yeah, he he recommended it, and so I went and watched it. And if you're listening, it was shit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. Like it had some. Is that cool the one anim- with the the two girls that are in a band or something like that? This one is like it. So it had some cool animation, but it was one of those things where they're trying too hard a lot of times. Where they don't okay. say. So it's about a forty-five minute short sort of film, and there's uh, three or four different anime styles as it's going on. Oh, I think I know and what it, you're talking about. They don't say it's all. It's like sound. a really long music video, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay, okay. Okay. And then like, yeah, I don't know. There's like it. It. I, I just left feeling disappointed. Like I, like, <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. He recommended something. I'll watch it. He said it was his favorite. It sucks. All right. It's like <laughs> the animation's all right, but like the, just the, the whole experience, because they're going for an experience. I didn't like the experience. That's all yeah. Uh, so I know it starts with like a bunch of music. Like I, I had no idea what it was. I didn't read anything. I just, I, it looked cool. So I played it and there's a bunch of music. I'm like, okay. When are they gonna start talking? Like they never start talking. It's just like a like a forty five minute long music video, and then they transition from one scene to the next, and they keep going. And yeah, it's like uh, like when's like I need to hear someone talk and have some kind of story or whatever, and it just never happens. Yeah, I am I am in the anime for uh, ninjas, robots, sword fighting. I mean, explosions. This is, that's in there. That's in but there. It's yeah. all it's all music. No one says a word. I don't want the Disney version of that. Yeah. I want the. <laughs> it's so, not, I don't, it's, so it's, it's pretty adult themed. So like, so yeah. it's just I don't know. I I didn't get it. Maybe maybe it's too. I'm not deep <laughs> enough to try and get what they were going for. But like I. I was like, okay, cool. I sort of dug the intro, and then it just sort of felt like we they didn't really know what they were doing with the thing. Like, I, I don't know. They're, like, they're just going for, like, a shock like, factor or something. Like, do you ever watch uh, Heavy Metal? Oh, man. I was yeah, so way back. it reminds me of Heavy Metal, like a Japanese version of Heavy Metal, but no one says anything. It was just music playing the whole time. Pass. That's kind of what, yeah. That's kind of the feeling <laughs> I got from from watching the first like ten minutes. Dylan, what's your favorite anime? Oh God, uh, that's a good question. Give Give me a favorite recent anime. How about F- that? Favorite recent is definitely My Hero Academia. I oh yeah, I've, I've been too. loving that. Um, you know, it's so it's so like a lot of the good animes just have one season like just one of the things like um you start throwing going back and do stuff like trigun and and you start uh you know trying to think some other good ones or or the um god what is that vampire one i really like the where it's like there's vampires and there's nazis um as hell helsing helsing yeah i love helsing um yeah like there's a lot of these ones that they don't have too many seasons and 
oftentimes makes sense, right? You have things like uh, Sword Art Online, which has one good season, and the rest of it's garbage. I agree with <laughs> you there. And, yeah. like, and like, um, one, I loved season one of One Punch Man, but like season two animation wasn't as good. Yeah, no, it's definitely. Oh, really? Oh, it's so. I haven't much seen worse. it yet. And it's oh, that sucks. It's oh yeah, but you know, it's I just try and watch anything that's new, and there's not that many that I'm watching right now. It's really. Um, just my hero but I, I do plan on picking up i tried watching uh dr stone which was a very interesting concept i watched about the first 15 episodes but dropped out of that cool um i think my favorite recently has been uh i'll, I'll throw out promise neverland um probably not one that would uh be on your radar but uh i thought it was fantastic it's about uh kids in an orphanage and it turns out that they're not orphans. They're like being grown to be fed to monsters. And so the show is about like them trying to escape. And uh, it, it was just fantastic. Like edge of your seat, a lot of suspense. That reminds me of another uh, good series, Dead Man Wonderland, which has one one season. And if you haven't seen that, I'd highly recommend it. It's sort of okay. it's sort of about this mysterious person that just goes and massacres at like a classroom of kids. And somehow this other kid Jeez. gets bet, gets pinned with it, and he goes to some place called Wonderland, which is like where all these people are essentially murdering each other left and right. It's it's kind of a dark, sort of gruesome type of horror, but it's a lot of action, really cool animation, and another one of those ones that um you have like a single season that you're just like God, I hope they make a second season, but they never do. <laughs> they, they never do. Oh, but yeah, that was uh, that's another another good one. Fantastic. I will uh, definitely gonna watch that one. I'm searching for it right now. He's, Eddie's Googling it right now. He's, yeah. he's queuing it up. Yeah, my uh, my girlfriend and I, maybe like two, three years ago, I was like, how many episodes are 12? We started watching it at like noon, and then we just watched it to like 4 a.m. like a bunch of degenerates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which is that was me and Promise Neverland. Very out of character like for me. Like I could sit down and watch one thing because I feel after I, wa- after I watch like a movie or something, I feel like oh, I got to get back to work. Like I got to go do something productive, which is uh, sort of uh, where I'm at right now. Yeah, I, uh, I jumped into that, that season of uh, Promise Neverland and then found myself at like 2 o'clock in the morning going, oh shit, I go to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched so, um God was that volleyball one that's on Netflix the uh Haiq Yeah I I, I it was all right I, I don't know people I, I thought with the way people talked about it, it was going to be a lot better than it was actually was but it, it was eh, I'm not going to watch season 2 it's basically what I decided <laughs> Yeah I've never been into the sports anime I know there's been a lot of uh popular ones like Prince of Tennis, and uh, there was a basketball one that was super popular. There was, was a sumo one I saw that was pretty good. Yeah, it, yeah. It was the first sports anime that I've watched, and I like I didn't want to give it a shot at first, and then I was like, you know what, anime I really did like was the um, God, I'm forgetting the name of it, but it was the food anime one. Was it Todoroki or something like that? Uh, where essentially you're eating food and getting stronger, and I loved that. There's like a hundred episodes, and I was like, <laughs> if I could watch that, why can't I watch a volleyball show? <laughs> I haven't seen that one. That sounds interesting. I'm trying to think what it was called. It, it, no, Todoroki. No. Oh, that's the got character from there. I'm trying to think of what it was. Yeah, that's that's from my hero. Yeah, yeah. Uh, food anime. It'll come up. I'll I'll get the name. This is a this is a good one. There's about a hundred episodes. Toriko. T O R I K O. And so okay. like, it's uh, 
it's essentially the, the premise is that there's like the whole world is based around food and so there's food hunters which go and they like uh, capture special ingredients and you know the better the food you eat the higher its strength you, you get and stuff like that i really liked it and then you have like um a couple of good ones on Netflix with the um, Aladdin and the Magi people. I forget the name. I saw. Oh, that. was That's that any good? good? Oh, I, yeah, I, I loved them. I loved them. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about giving it a shot, but I never sat down. I'm kind of wary about jumping into an anime because there's just so many bad ones out there. But uh, basically, Tech Junior is me fishing for anime recommendations at this point. So. <laughs> I know, it's, it's sort of like. You, you can really only get like maybe one or two good ones a year where you're watching it and like the rest you you throw some you throw some feelers out and then you're like this looks like it might be good and then it's just mediocre where it's like well I don't have anything else to watch but I'm never gonna watch this again because it wasn't that good <laughs> yeah that's that's Dr. Stone to a T right there yeah that's kind of where I've been for a little while it's like eh, it's kind of interesting but well um I think we can wrap it up there uh <laughs> instead of otherwise we'll just have nerd hour um, <laughs> anime hour with dylan uh dylan thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us it was, it was a blast having you appreciate yeah, it thanks 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 for listening to tech junior head on over to our site for show notes and past episodes and all that good stuff and you can find that at techjr.dev uh please sign up to our newsletter and join us on Patreon and buy a t-shirt or something. Uh, all that stuff just helps us keep this thing going. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at TechJR Podcast, email us at techjrpodcast at gmail.com, uh, or even hit Eddie and I up personally at LeeWorkJr and ed0ter0 on Twitter. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing something reacty. Uh, either Eddie and I are going to talk about React or we're going to hear from Jamin Holmgren, uh, depending on if Eddie and I can get together to record. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm going to be heading to ViewConf next week, uh, which is going to be exciting. So uh, I will definitely talk about that on the show. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's all I've got for this one. Uh, do you guys hang out and listen to this stuff after the after the the music starts going at the end? I don't know. I always cut this stuff off when I'm looking at podcasts. So anywho, uh, thanks for listening and join us next Wednesday. Bye.